Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we're airing a new recording of Dr. John's popular series, I Will Tell. So turning your Bibles to Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 to 8, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. In Shakespeare's play Macbeth, Macbeth says something that many of us are afraid might just be true. He said, life's but a shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Now compare that perspective on the meaning of life with the one found in Psalm 78. Psalm 78, 1 to 8, which I'm going to read in a moment, is a part of one of the great historical psalms recounting the history of Israel and showing why remembering what God has done in the past will give meaning and hope and purpose and will provide a safeguard against our lives ending in disaster. Furthermore, Psalm 78, verse 4 highlights a command. I will tell, it says, I will not hide the great deeds of the Lord, which he has done in the past from the next generation. I'll make sure that before I die, the people coming after me will know not only what I know, but will be able to live with meaning, hope, and purpose. And that's our theme this week. Not only will I believe, but I will tell. For if I don't tell, the lives of countless people will end in disaster. Their lives will be full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That's what's at stake. Most of us know that ours is a culture that has forgotten the God of the Bible. It once had the gospel preached to it. Canada was called a dominion because Sir Leonard Tilly, premier of New Brunswick and one of the fathers of Confederation, suggested that the founders of our nation, that Psalm 72 verse 8 ought to pervade this new land. The verse simply reads as a prayer. May he, that is, may the God of the Bible have dominion from sea to sea. Now that name, dominion, stuck and was imprinted on the Canadian coat of arms. Originally, what is now called Canada Day was called Dominion Day. That name was only changed in 1982 on a Friday when all members of Parliament had gone home and less than a dozen erased the memory of our biblical heritage. Jacques Cartier, when in 1533 sailing up the St. Lawrence, wrote in his diary, We all kneel down in the company of the Indians and with our hands raised toward heaven, yielded thanks to God. Samuel D. Champlain, when first encountering the Aboriginal peoples of Canada, wrote in his diary, I should be committing a great sin if I did not make it my business to devise some means of bringing them the knowledge of God. And by the way, there are some who credit the Canadian celebration of Thanksgiving to him. Our Thanksgiving is intended as a celebration to the God of the Bible. David Thompson, one of Canada's great explorers, said he made maps through the wilderness so that these barriers may be traversed and the gospel may be spread. The examples of the presence of the gospel in the founding of Canada are impressive. McGill University, as well as the University of Toronto, were founded by Christians. Canada's public school system was founded by Egerton Ryerson, he was a Methodist missionary concerned that all children ought to be taught to read the Bible. In fact, during a revival held in Ottawa in the year 1888, that day, standing to his feet to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, was our first Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald. Apparently, many of his colleagues who knew him well in that meeting 
openly wept for joy. By all accounts, from that day onward, MacDonald was a changed man. His testimony was used to urge Canadians to follow his example and surrender their lives to Christ as well. But now many Canadians don't remember our heritage and because of that wouldn't be able to tell you a single Bible story or to tell you why those Bible stories are the difference between life and death. See, I fear too many of us have become like the French author André Merois who wrote, The universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we here upon this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space? I have not the slightest idea and I'm quite convinced that no one else has the least idea either. That's precisely how many people live today. The universe doesn't care about them. Why are we here? What does life mean? Is there anything more important than my wants and desires and my personal safety and comfort and satisfaction? What does it mean to be a human being? Am I just the product of a random stage of evolutionary development? Or was I created for a noble purpose? What happens to a person at death? How do we know what is right and wrong, good and evil? Is there a roadmap for life? And what's the meaning of history? You know, most Canadians today would not know how to answer those questions. And does that make any difference at all? You know, back in 1940, George Orwell, reflecting on the Western world's rejection of God, wrote these lines. 200 years, and he means from the Enlightenment to the present day, for 200 years, Western culture has sawed and sawed and sawed at the branch we were sitting on. That branch, by the way, was belief in the God of the Bible. And in the end, much more suddenly than anyone had foreseen, our efforts were rewarded and down we came. But unfortunately, there had been a little mistake. The thing at the bottom was not a bed of roses after all. It was a cesspool full of barbed wire. You know, Christian author Oz Guinness has described or summarized the new modern values of Western culture that most in our country accept without even knowing it. In our day, he writes, there is no truth, only truths. There are no principles, only preferences. There is no grand reason, only reasons. There's no privileged civilization, only a multiple of cultures, beliefs, periods, and styles. There's no grand narrative of human progress, only countless stories of where people and their cultures are now. See, people have lost meaning and a reason to both die and to live. That's why psychologically we're ill. Instant gratification has replaced purpose. My deeply treasured feelings have replaced both reason and revelation. My point of view has replaced objectivity. My values has replaced good and evil. My wants have replaced my purpose. My perspective has replaced God. You know, some time ago, I had a conversation with a young woman who had contracted genital herpes. It was extremely painful. It produced raw, painful sores and blisters and also includes headache and backaches. And as you know, there's no cure. And she told me she had never heard the gospel, not once. She never had anyone ever explain the Bible even once. She told me she didn't know a single thing that the Bible actually taught. But she said, if someone had told me sex was for marriage alone and had told me why it was both beautiful and the Creator's design, my life would have been very different. For once, she said, I wouldn't have genital herpes. You know, I'd probably married and have kids. But even if she wasn't married and even if she was sick with another illness, she would still know who she was and where she was going and know the purpose for living. She would have known her God. And I know many of us believe that what has happened in our culture has never happened before. 
uh, that a people have forgotten their God. But we're wrong. You know, Psalm 78 speaks of Israel's rejection of their God and the consequences that came. And in verse 9, we're told that the Ephraimites forgot God and turned back on the day of battle. And in verses 32 to 33, we're told that when Israel did not believe, their days vanished like a breath and their years in sorrow. And in verses 61 and 62, we're told that eventually this forgetting of God meant that their enemies won the battle over them. And instead of serving God, they served a nation that did not have mercy on them. With these words of warning, a man named Asaph writes a psalm. You know, Asaph was a worship leader in ancient Israel, and he was appointed by King David to lead worship. And a great part of worship is putting into poetry and music the great deeds of God to help God's people remember. And so here's what Asaph writes to Israel, and I'm reading Psalm 78, 1 to 3. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Now that's an introduction. See, Asaph is saying, everyone listen up, give ear. In fact, lean your ear a little closer in my direction. What I'm about to say you don't want to miss. I want to tell you a story and not just a story. The story I will tell is actually a parable. That means that if you'll listen well to my story, it will teach you to be wise. It will teach you to live life with skills so that the outcome of your life is going to be good. Okay, are you leaning your ear in, in his direction? And then Asaph adds something more. My parable comes in the way of a dark saying. It doesn't mean that it's a secret saying or an evil saying. Rather, a dark saying is like a perplexing saying. It's a difficult saying. So he's saying what I'm going to say is really going to make you think. So lean over just a little closer. That's because what I have to say will tell you about how quickly people forget God and rebel against him, and yet how in spite of that, God remains faithful. And then Asaph adds, the reason you want to lean right in is because what I have to say comes from of old, of God's great actions in history, from the way God has dealt with us in the past. Did you know that Back to the Bible Canada has a weekly video Bible teaching series? All videos, both archived and current, are easily accessible on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or online at backtothebible.ca. The videos offer the excellence of Bible teaching you've come to expect from Dr. John Newfeld, providing insight into God's Word, God's character, and the life He has called us to live. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. There you can also access past video series and programs, including our recent virtual worship event, The Gathering, 45 wonderful minutes of worship, Bible teaching, laughter, and encouragement. For more information or to support the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, would you call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Let's read Psalm 78, verses 5 to 8. He has established a testimony in Jacob 
and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's consider a sobering reality. Failure to make the deeds of God known in any generation results in the ruin of that culture and an endless sadness for its people. Whenever the knowledge of God disappears from a people, that people forgets what is good and what is true. The value of human life disappears and selfishness and death replace it. I recently had a conversation with a young woman about the movie The Titanic. I think I might be the only person in all of North America who didn't see that movie, but I've read plenty of reviews. And as I understand it, according to the movie, when the ship starts to sink, the rich men start to scramble for the few lifeboats on board, shoving aside women and children. And then British sailors draw their guns and fire them into the air, shouting, stand back, women and children first. Well, that's Hollywood, and that never happened. Let me read to you from D.A. Carson. He writes, The universal testimony of the witnesses who survived the sinking of the Titanic is that the men hung back and actually urged the women and children into the lifeboats. John Jacob Astor, the richest man on earth, the Bill Gates of 1912, literally dragged his wife and children to a boat, shoved them on, and then stepped back and refused to go on himself. Benjamin Guggenheim, who also refused to get on, actually said, tell my wife that Benjamin Guggenheim knows his duty. He drowned. There's not a single report of some rich man displacing women and children in a mad rush for survival. Now then, says Dr. Carson, when the film was first reviewed in the New York Times, the reviewer asked why the producer and director of the film had distorted history so flagrantly in this regard. And I might add, so horribly dishonoring to the bravery and sacrifice of those men. Carson says the scene as depicted was implausible from the beginning. British sailors drawing handguns. Most British officers do not carry handguns. British sailors certainly do not. So why this willful distortion of history? And then the reviewer of the New York Times answered his own question. If the producer and director had told the truth, he said, no one would have believed them. With that, Dr. Carson says, I have seldom read a more damning indictment of the development of Western culture, especially Anglo-Saxon culture, in the last century. One hundred years ago, there remained in our culture enough residue of the Christian virtue of self-sacrifice for the sake of others, of the moral imperative that seeks the other's good at personal expense, that Christians and non-Christians alike thought it noble, if unremarkable, to choose death for the sake of others. A mere century later, such a course is judged so unbelievable that the history has to be distorted." End quote. You know, contrast that to the sinking of the Estonia in 1994, making it the worst maritime disaster since World War II, in which over 850 people perished. The survivors there were almost all strong young men. There were no survivors under the age of 12. 
Those who made it to the lifeboats were the ones strong enough to scramble there. That's the history that now sounds believable. That's the culture we now take for granted. We've adopted the evolutionary model, the fittest survive, and that's the cesspool of barbed wire that George Orwell warned us about. I mean, think about the value of human life in our culture. 300 unborn children lose their lives every day in Canada because they're unwanted. And today, over 90% of couples with Down syndrome children choose to abort because they're imperfect. Atheist Richard Dawkins even said, it's immoral not to abort a Down syndrome baby. Well, if that's what's happening at one end of life, and then in February 2015, the Supreme Court of Canada unanimously ruled the prohibition on voluntary acts of euthanasia and doctor-assisted suicide violates the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And then today, we call it MAID, M-A-I-D, Medical Assistance in Dying. It means we kill people like we do sick horses. That's because we can't imagine the value of human life. Many Christians are concerned. If the only life that is considered valuable is that of the strongest and the fittest of us, what can that mean? We've traded in the values of the Titanic for the values of the Estonia. See, what happens when a people forget God? Many things happen, but you can almost guess now what I'm going to say. When a people forget God, they forget love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness. They forget the model of Christ who gave himself up for us. Decency is lost, and in its place comes the ideal of doing what's best in one's own interest. We've all now taken the side of Cain, and we've shouted it into the face of the Creator. I am not my brother's keeper. And that's what Asaph knew. He knew how easily the knowledge of God is forgotten, even within one generation. It's not actively taught and proclaimed, then darkness descends. You know, the New Living Translation says of Psalm 78, verse 4, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation. And then, of course, the rest of the psalm tells of what must be told. The story of the Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea, the rebellion against God in the wilderness, and yet the love of God in providing manna, and how water came out of a rock because of the mercy of God. On and on go the stories. Recount them, says Asaph. Declare, I will tell. And of course, as we read through the Old Testament, this kind of command is repeatedly given. In Deuteronomy, Moses told the Israelites to tell their children even to write the great things of God in their houses, on their mantles and door frames. In Joshua, Israel builds memorial pillars so that when their children should ask, what do these stones mean? Take that as an opportunity to tell the next generation who wasn't there, this is what God did on this very spot. And by the time of David, says Asaph, the list has gotten longer. And for us today as believers in Jesus, the list has gotten a lot longer than it had been at Asaph's time. Above all, our list includes the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, the building of his church, and the printed record of an inerrant word of God, which is the only book humanity has written in the finger of God. And that brings us to our theme, I will tell. Let's start at the most basic level. According to Asaph, we must teach our children. Parents, it is your obligation to instruct your kids in the faith. Here's a horrifying story. 
You know, I was recently talking to an administrator at a Christian university who told me that there were now kids coming from Christian homes who couldn't recall John 3.16. Please let me get just a bit prophetic. If you're dragging your kids to hockey games, violin lessons, and ballet, taking the time for all of that, and are not teaching them to know the Word of God, you're condemning them to the cesspool full of barbed wire or well spoke of. My oh my, how we disregard the welfare of our children. Let me get beyond that to the New Testament perspective. Jesus commands us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. While it is true that not all of us are called to preach, all of us are called to make the gospel known in the sphere of influence that God, by his sovereign design, has placed us in. We must tell others who are not our children. And for those of us who live in this land, I want you to love your country so passionately that you must tell of the great deeds of God and how faith in this God will change both the present and eternity. That's what we should all know with a great deal of certainty. The battle for the dignity of human life is not going to be won in the arena of politics or in the arena of law. It is won or lost when a people remember or forget God. And furthermore, it's won or lost when the people of God determine to tell or they determine to neglect to tell. Now, just by the way of what you might expect, during this week, I have no intention of making you feel guilty for not evangelizing as we should. Instead, during this week, I'm going to provide everyone who's listening with tools. I want to provide you with what you need to become a faithful witness of Jesus. Would you join me this week and determine, I will tell. Thanks, John. This is a great series. You know, I'm thinking how we understand, apply, even even give time to memorizing scripture is so different than we did perhaps 20 or 30 years ago. How do you think this has impacted the church today? Well, it has um, because we tend to know fewer scriptures. And so, you know, we don't bear them quickly to mind. Now, it's been said before that, you know, some of our problems is that, you know, back in the old days, everyone memorized from one translation. We have so many today. So, you know, I would say to people, find a translation that works for you um, and, uh, and memorize out of that one and uh, do so regularly. You might make a list of key verses that you should be memorizing, but... You know, when when the psalmist says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, you know, he, he was telling us how important it was that when we draw our minds to the scripture that we have placed in our hearts, it is a preventative against sin. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, I Will Tell, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. I will tell. This is a series where Dr. Newfeld focuses on the theme verse and a command found in Psalm 78, verse 4. In it, we're compelled by these words, I will not hide the great deeds of the Lord, which he has done in the past from the next generation. This popular series provides you the tools and incentive to share the gospel. It will help inspire you rather than guilt you into action. It reminds us that we each bear responsibility to intentionally share the truths of the gospel, the God of the Bible, his deeds, and his provision for all those that believe. This month, 
We're excited to offer this entire series on CD for anyone who would ask. Our gift to encourage and inspire. Ask for a copy of I Will Tell for yourself or even pass it on to a friend. All you need to do is visit backtothebible.ca or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.